0: What's up everybody?
1: Welcome to A Bit Unraveled comedy podcast. I'm your host Ryan Hansinger and let's get into it. What's up everybody? Welcome to another episode of A Bit Unraveled. Very excited for this week. Uh, We have one of my very good friends, one of my longest friends here in LA. Uh, The very funny Chad Damiani. Let's bring him in guys.
0: Hello my friend. Hello. How are you?
1: I'm good how are you?
0: Pretty good just trying to get better with this ring light. That is, so I think this would be a good opportunity.
1: That is a fantastic backdrop. Oh yeah it's a big painting. Is it? Oh you look. it looks like it looks three-dimensional it looks real.
0: Yeah no I <clears throat> I've been doing a lot of uh, stand-up stuff. Um, I mean it is real Ryan it's just a painting. It's
1: well, yeah, but I like I like I feel like you could touch the leaves and. Yeah,
0: I know, right? It sort like of it, creates it, this sort of depth. Yeah, of it has depth. Yeah. I'm trying to mix it up, you know, old guy, new tricks. You know how it is, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: it's great. I love it. Um, you're wearing a turtleneck, which I'm surprised to see. You I always. thought
0: this would. Uh, I know. I thought I'd I'd mix it up on you and wear a turtleneck and uh, and see where it went. <laughs> you
1: You specifically asked if you could wear no the guns up. and you came more covered than i've ever seen
0: i was actually in a tank top for my my workout today and uh i was like you know what i'm gonna because i actually was gonna wear a hat too but then i thought it looked like the guy in the last podcast wore a hat so i was like i'll just do the turtleneck
1: ah i gotcha um yeah he, he didn't that was a that was a photo but yeah you're good you're good i like the look are you sure should i should i get the hat <laughs> it's too late it's too late chad the hat's out the window all right fair enough um i love it it's great I, I honestly didn't know you own sleeves uh for those who don't know chad chad is uh typically in, in a in a tank top just showing off the guns That's, yeah um
0: i have like a big Hanna barbera sort of mentality with branding where like you know don't have too many outfits yes you know if you wear the same stuff all the time essentially you galvanize in a person's memory much easier. Yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> I, I, I've had the same thinking. Um, mine was with V-necks, which it just isn't the same. I don't, it's not a yeah, brand Yeah, I know. I mean, you do own
0: a lot of V-necks. Though, I, I sure. own like,
1: I, I like 50 like shades 20, of
0: V. Like, at least 20.
1: At least, yeah. Uh, I felt like that was my thing. And it was, it's easy because I know I'm just going to wear a V-neck every day. I just have to pick the color. And it's like,
0: good to go. So for me, the, the addendum to like the tank top thing is, I thought like, what if my dress up is a turtle and my everyday is a tank? Right. Like so then it's like, so now this choice, if you think about it, represents two different states of being, not just outfits, but like, I'm kind of sophisticated right now. Yeah. But you know what? I'm pretty comfortable in a gym. I'm, I'm a regular guy.
1: I like uh, that. Are you are you wearing a tank top currently underneath the? So I, had,
0: I, I will say this: I had to take off a tank top put, to put on this turtleneck. Okay, all right, yeah.
1: I I almost like, I think it'd be sweet if you just had one underneath and you. I mean, you've been known to uh, rip a shirt or two. Just
0: I spend upwards of even this year because I've been ripping a lot of shirts in the park shows, which we recently stopped because of um, you know the lockdown. Right, but. I did the math, and I'm like, "Oh, I'm gonna lose $250 this year <laughs> on Hanes ribless tees. That's uh, amazing. Tagless ribless tees. Yeah,
1: that's amazing.
0: But I'm not gonna. Uh, these are like 20 bucks or $25 each. These, because I have like multiple turtlenecks, very similar. But I'm like, these are too expensive to rip. That's like the laugh isn't worth it to me. Right. I'll spend right. four dollars on a laugh, but that's about that's it.
1: Hysterical. I love that you have a shirt budget.
0: Yeah, it didn't start that way. And I think I can write it off, honestly. I mean, I certainly oh, have yeah. enough photographic evidence. That, yeah, that I'm totally.
1: I think you can write that off. Um, I'm already
0: that. worried as an artist that I'm always going to get audited. So it's like, you're always like playing that game of like, will this be the item? Right. flags the IRS. $250 in Hanes tank tops. Yeah, Hanes, you... Hanes, by the way, I've mentioned twice. So, So yeah, we're
1: plugging that. If we can get some ads for Hanes on here.
0: Maybe. Um. <laughs> yeah that's always like an interesting
1: thing because like as an artist you're supposed to I guess you get into this rhythm of writing things off but yeah you don't know what that thing's going to be that pushes it over yeah and and
0: the stuff we write off is so dumb anyway so it's like for whatever reason I feel like having a tank top budget of $250 is like custom made for red flagging like it's like oh yeah that's for sure but no one spends $250 a year on tank tops right
1: I had a, I had a friend who got audited and he, but he was, he was pushing it. Like he was like upgrading his car, which was his work vehicle, but he also put on like a new muffler and stuff, you know, like,
0: yeah, you gotta be uh, careful with that stuff. And they, they, they got him. What was he an actor?
1: yeah he's an actor comedian so yeah
0: i mean unless he's a stunt man i don't think you can write off putting a new muffler on your car
1: i'm gonna tell him to start doing stunts and he'll he'll probably be like if i can keep this uh this old you know classic car going then yeah
0: yeah just get a TikTok. tell him to shoot three videos of him doing cool shit with his car to me that'll get you right through the irs <laughs> i think so
1: <laughs> i think that's it as long as something's on video to prove you used it for that I don't know. I don't work for the IRS. So I'm going to get people in trouble.
0: listen, <laughs> don't listen to either of us. If anyone's watching, we, neither of us have any good advice when it comes to your taxes. <laughs> no,
1: we're just rolling the dice. Uh, well, cool. Well, I'm, I'm happy to have you on. Um, yeah. Nice to see you, buddy. Yeah. You're good to see you. This is like, this is the hangout these days. Um, just zooming. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, for, to give a little backstory, uh, Chad is, is one of, uh, probably the first person I met in LA, I think. Um, Right up there, yeah. Oh gosh, like 10 years ago now. Um, it You literally, I went into UCB class. That, I think we met the first UCB one or was it two? Mm-hmm. No, we back.
0: met, um, you, you, yeah, we met one-on-one.
1: Okay, but then we met a couple of the other people from uh, our group, Catbath, uh, I think in level two. But yeah, so that was like the first week that I, I got here in L.A. I, I was driving out and I missed the first class because I was en route from Virginia to L.A.
0: Boy, that's too, like oh. such a young, young person's game too. It's like, I'm not wasting any time. I've got a five-year plan for Los Angeles. So I'm going to get to UCB the first week I'm here. No wasting. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's, uh, yeah, a hundred percent. That's that uh, naive. Here we go. Um, I wanted, I wanted to live like a block away from UCB. And I was, mm-hmm. that was the game plan. And, like from, that was you know day 1 i was like i'm going to take these classes i'll be in ucb in like 2 months <laughs> you know, i'm going sure, to sure. these going i'm going to take some intensives i'm going to you know and it doesn't work like that but um but fun nonetheless but yeah and you know we met great none of people. us all yeah.
0: of us have had some successes and stuff but none of us none of the catpath gang um i guess tipper and chris who are friends of ours they had mm-hmm. a couple they had a couple shows that we were in on the UCB main stage, but like yeah. they never got any like mod consideration or hero. Like, yeah. I mean, really it was like, you know, yeah. I mean, if if there was a plan for UCB to be our gateway, boy, we botched that big time. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. It's a system. It's a, there's a whole game to all of that stuff. Um, oh, sure. but
0: there used yeah. to be at least. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's cool. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, like, I definitely want to talk about the stuff you're doing now because you've had a lot of circle in this year. But I also want to backtrack a little bit because I think you have a super interesting story. Because uh, as far back as I know, like, career stuff was wrestling, your your wrestling career. And uh,
0: yeah,
1: which I, I was like, I couldn't remember because I'm not a huge wrestling fan. And I was like, is it WWE or WWF? And I looked well, up... Well,
0: interestingly, it's not so... I will explain. So I was okay. in a company called World Championship Wrestling, okay, um, which was the main competitor to, at the time, WWF, before they had their whole lawsuit with the World Wildlife Fund and changed their name okay. to WWE. Yeah. So yeah, like around in 1996, you probably can't tell just by watching the video, but I'm a little older than Ryan. I'm just <laughs> For probably people watching, couldn't tell, but I am a few years older than Ryan. <laughs> just a couple years um, a couple years. We don't even count. We've we never counted. Um, but in 1996, I was in Atlanta. That was when the Olympics were in Atlanta. And I was working for like this project that now sounds like Quibi a little bit. Um, it was mm. called SPIV and it was supposed to be like a website network that was just for online, like, you know, like very much. It was way ahead of its time and, you know, it lasted about nine months and we, it was ter- it was a disaster. Uh, I mean, we, we, we were bad. They hired all young people to run it and we were unqualified and we also didn't know what the internet was and it was, and we were still on modems and, but the one good thing that came out of this experience was that I met the team that ran World Championship Wrestling's website, which was just being started when I got there. And so I stayed friends with these guys and I had been a wrestling fan. And uh, I, I decided to uh, leave once there was no job uh, there anymore. So I guess they decided I le- for me to leave, I'm not sure. But I went to New York to like, pursue playwriting because I've always made really snappy, practical decisions when it comes to career. <laughs> I was always like, what has the best chance? Oh, I'll go and try to be a, a playwright. Yeah. And while I was there, these guys who I stayed in touch with, they needed content for their website. So I started writing reviews of TV shows. So I'd just stay up, I'd watch the TV show, I'd email them a review of it and they'd put it on the website. And from there, because they knew I was an actor, which I was not at the time, an actor or a writer. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. They called me one time and they're like, hey, there's this weird thing that you might be interested in. We have this hotline. We just started, and at the time in WCW, our big angle, which is like our big storyline that was helping us compete with Vince McMahon and the WWE, mm-hmm. was we had um, we had contracted several big talents that used to be on his show, and we were kind of making it look like they had invade, like that WWE had invaded our show. So yeah, um, nice. and they called it the New World Order, and it was wildly popular. We were actually for almost two years beating Vince, which was, is unheard of, you know, and, uh, but they had a hotline. Now, this is when hotlines existed, 1-900 numbers. And so <laughs> right. the idea was that these guys were all these big stars, millionaires, were going to leave 10 minute messages that you could listen to. And they were like, listen, um, these guys promised us they were going to leave these messages, but just in case one of them forgets. Listen at midnight, and if, the, if you hear the old message from the day before, you record a message. Because if you don't, and people call two days in a row and it's the same message, they can ask for their money back. But listen, we're gonna pay you $200, no, $150 it was, um, per message, and I know that sounds like a lot, but the fact is, we need you to stay up till midnight every night, and you might only do one a month. Because oh, wow. these guys promised, they promised, they'd do it. Yeah. These, these wrestlers, <laughs> ne- they never left a message. Every- <laughs> I was role, I had more money than all my broke ass theater friends. Oh I'd, my god. I'd record these messages. But what happened was I had no information. I was in right. New York City. I didn't I didn't have any inside information. That's what people wanted. So I would actually record these 10 minute like skits, basically. Yeah. I don't call them sketches because they don't they don't even earn the distinction <laughs> of sketch. They okay. were skits for sure. Yeah. And, uh, and it would just be all dumb. I would just make fun of the show. Like I would take the characters from the show and I would rename them and do voices. And my roommate at the time who I ended up writing with, uh, I still work with um, on occasion out here. Um, he was my roommate, also a theater guy. He mm-hmm. would do voices and I would be the interviewer and I do voices. So I kept leaving these messages. And unbeknownst to me, while I had to check at midnight to make sure these messages were left, there was a guy in Atlanta who had to check at 9am to see if I'd checked.
1: Uh-huh. And these
0: messages kind of became like a hot item at this uh, Smyrna, Georgia office because, you know, I was making fun of the show. Right. So uh, I was told at one point upwards of like 30 people would meet in this massive conference room they had down there. And they would just turn on my message and listen, drink their coffee and kind of laugh at the message. <laughs> so yeah. I had no idea. I'm just trying to be a theater star. I'm, st- you know, I'm in these terrible showcases. I'm just like broke as a joke. Um, cause even making that much money in New York, you're still broke. Oh yeah. And, uh, so one, one time they were like, listen, um, you know, do you want to, you want to make $200? You want to make another $200? I'm like, sure. They're like, take the train. They wouldn't even fly me. Take the train to Boston because we're going to do an internet event there. Um, and it's going to be a pay per listen. So mm-hmm. like I said, Ryan and I are a couple of years different. So I was from an era <laughs> where an internet paper listen existed. Um, oh my goodness! And they know, were going sh- to. I've heard of
1: a paper listen on the internet. Yeah,
0: no. But it's, it's, now it's, they
1: have it. They have It's almost come back in a way. Yeah. Through like Patreon and stuff. Like there's ways of podcasts like, and stuff. Yeah, but yeah. It's kind of funny. Okay.
0: So and 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 they had some like really shitty thing where like every like five seconds you would get a still image of the show, like just a very unappealing visual process. But yeah. they were like, we need you to come up. Not by the way to do. any they wanted me to run cable because. The budget was so low there would be a grip because the budget was so low they didn't have money for and the union guys in Boston weren't going to do it for what they charge so like we're going to sneak you in you'll run all the cable and I went because I wanted to meet wrestlers like I was a fan you know like I I loved wrestling as a kid uh fell out of it a little bit but then got back into it in college
1: and then you picked it back up up when you started improv
0: yeah oh my god (laughs) in a big who knew who knew
1: you you Uh, bring you bring wrestling into improv like oh for it's, sure it's that's my that's
0: my secret weapon and i, I know, you know and right? it's not so secret either i tell everyone but like you know no one seems to want to do it uh, which may be like a commentary on my work but uh but uh so i'm there like, I'm in, i am i love practice. it though
1: because like and that's for me being a small person it's nice working with another improviser who has like those abilities to like Lift oh yeah, I was always
0: <laughs> grabbing you by the back of your jeans. I don't know how I didn't lose more
1: belts, man. You were like, yeah, lift I, would with love, a I love, I <laughs> love grabbing that belt. I love it. You know, I was like, how is this even happening?
0: Um, I was, I was shocked. But yeah, anyways. So I go up there. No bullshit. This is what I'm wearing. I've got <clears throat> construction boots jean shorts jorts uh and at the time these chamay flannel shirt. like i was dressed like a weird pirate like i was just i was just a dirt bag. and i'm running cable and i'm more than happy to do it And i'm seeing some stars of like wrestlers i know and i'm not not even talking to them i'm so, still like this is amazing and i was also like i was excited to stay in a hotel room it wasn't even my hotel room it was my friend dave cunningham's hotel i was just gonna get to stay in it like yeah. i was like oh my god this is great because i was so broke and uh and so I'm literally doing that thing when you run cable where you're like doing this and uh, yeah. uh, Cunningham comes over and goes, listen, um, Gene Okerlund, who I don't know if you ever heard that name, but he was a famous um, uh, announcer. Like he used to do a lot of stuff with Hulk Hogan. Mean okay. Gene Okerlund was his name. And uh, they're like, Gene was supposed to comment, be the commentator, but he got, um, I'll never forget. He got food poisoning from a chicken focaccio sandwich. I remember, because is like this whole day is burned into my brain. Yeah. And, uh, I'll, and I'm just like oh sucks for you guys like I'm just like you know and they're like um so since you do the hotlines you're the closest thing we have to an announcer so we need you to call the show I had never done communications I'd never I don't watch sports I'd never commentated on anything in my life Wow. and I was like I, like when they said it it just went right through me I was like you know that thing where you're just like oh this is and they're like we need you to go out to the ring right now like right it's so wow. I'm like, because I just finished running the cable. So I, like, I just finished running the cable. So all of a sudden, like, and there's a little, I just remember walking out in the Boston Garden, sold out Boston Garden.
1: In, in the shorts? The product, in the shorts and in the, the boots?
0: All I had. It's all in I the had. Shorts, the shimay? The the gray shimay top. Man. Um, so it was all I had. And yeah. uh, I'm walking out and I'm just starting with people and I sit down next to this guy, Mark Madden, who is still to this day, like a pretty huge sports Radio guy in Pittsburgh, and I think he does. But he's like, "Who the fuck are you?" He's like, "I'm like, I'm like, I'm 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 the I'm the other commentator." But like, "He's like, what are you talking about?" <laughs> no one had contacted him. No one told him. And so we start, and he's like, "I like Mark, but he's like, his whole thing is he's like one of those sports radio bullies kind of guy, you know?" Okay. Really yeah. got a voice like this, so he's like, really loud. Like so he's bulldog
1: just, from frazier
0: Yeah, basically, exactly. It's bull. Totally. Yeah. And uh. So he's just running me over and I don't blame him. Like I, I didn't know what I was doing and I was kind of like trying to do it and i was sucking. And like we were halfway through the first match and I'm like, I'm going to lose this. Not only am I sucking, I'm going to lose this great like hotline gig. It's, it's, mm-hmm. this is this going to be the end? And I was just like, kind of like, fuck it. And I just started making fun of the show. Like I just mm-hmm. started making fun of it. And I remember specifically, there was an old timey wrestler named Greg the Hammer Valentine. And he was in the ring and he, he wore these naked tights. And he had an actual claw hammer on the back on the ass part of the tights because he was Greg the Hammer Valentine. Okay, and I just went on a fucking tear about like I was just like, what does that even mean having a hammer on the like in the ass part of your pants? <laughs> like I was like, it's like this is like he's gonna hammer people with his ass. He's gonna get his ass hammered. Like I was being so because I'm like I'm fired, baby. I'm fired. uh, Right.
1: You're just going for it. Madden's
0: Madden's laughing, but he's laughing, looking at me like he goes, Oh, well, you know, it's nice knowing you kid, like this and that. But two of the big stars, these guys, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, who are really big stars in this new world order, they heard it and they thought it was funny. And their whole thing was being like smart ass funny guys. This is something you should know about almost every music, because I've worked, you know, I worked for Ryan Seacrest, I've been in Wrestling, but like everyone who does something else that we die to do just wants to be funny. They just want to be funny. Yeah. That's all they want. Yeah. And like, they're so excited. A laugh is the best, like, the laugh is the purest, most beautiful thing you can get, right? Even more than yeah. like cheers and roars. So they- all of a sudden I hear their are very dis- undistinguishable, like, um, or very like clear voices. And they're now doing it with us. Like, so for the whole night, we're all just making fun of the show. And Madden, like the little turncoat that he was, he immediately jumped on board once those guys came on to yeah. what I was doing. Like first he's amazing. just like, and uh, well, I left that night. Like by the oh, by the way, just is just a detail. At the end of the night, they're in a cage match against, I believe it was Sting and Macho Man Randy Savage. It was like a huge event at the Boston mm-hmm. Garden. And at the end, they like they cheated to win, and they're getting booed, and people are throwing food. And Kevin Nash is like seven foot tall. He they someone hit him with a thing of curly fries, and he caught it. Right. And he walked yeah. over and he, through the cage, he fed me a curly fry, which at that point, I <laughs> thought life will never get better. Like, I just got fed a curly fry by Kevin Nash at Boston Garden. By, by
1: this, this, by seven foot Kevin Nash. Like,
0: seven <laughs> foot superstar Kevin <laughs> He's Nash. handing
1: you yeah. a, f- a curly fry. Little, right amazing. through his
0: hand, he fed me this curly fry. And I yeah. got on the train thinking I was fired, but what a way to go. I was like, yeah. what a way to go. And Those guys, now again, this is only what I was told third hand, but I guess those guys went back and were like, this kid's really funny, and he's like doing what they're doing on the internet, he's making fun of shit, he's trolling, trolling wasn't a word, but I was doing it. And that Monday, I get a phone call, and it's someone I never heard of before, and they're like, we want to fly you down to Florida to talk about your contract. And I was like, what are you talking about? And... They flew me down and they offered me an announcing contract, which then I did for five years. Like they, they. I, by the way, I talked to my dad like the whole time going down, and I had all these numbers in my head of what I was going to offer, mm-hmm. uh, try to get, because I'm like, oh, because I had no like no leverage. Twenty four, <laughs> yeah, no leverage. But I'm like, my dad's like, you gotta do this and you gotta do that, and you see, you can get insurance. And I remember this guy Jay Ha, Jay Hossman, Mm-hmm. walked in and he was like, he looked like a little Italian Bob's big boy. I'll never forget that. Like he just said <laughs> a little, and he goes, listen, and he just quoted this number, which was twice as much I was going to ask for. And he goes, that's the number. We're not negotiating. And I was like, all right, I'll put it twice <laughs> the number that I want. You're like, um, wow,
1: I was going to say like 24,000.
0: <laughs> He's like, <laughs> like, oh my God. Yeah.
1: Whoa. That's amazing. That's amazing. And, uh, so that I was look- the birth of Chad Shame.
0: Chad That's <laughs> like that's of <laughs> Comedy uh, on Instagram, guys. Um, <laughs> I would
1: love if that was like your announcer stage name.
0: Like just Chad Cheney. Do you know what it was? No, what was it? Was it was Deli Boy. Was it? Deli Boy? Oh, that's great. And I'll tell you why. Because when I was doing the hotlines, I was like, no one I ever will ever meet will be listening to this hotline. This is a mm. different type of person. And I only did it because I knew they were going to put an ad in the magazine. And I wanted to show my college friends because as a joke in college, I called myself the Deli Boy. Like we'd watch wrestling, and we all had names, so we were total nerds. And yeah. uh, and so and I, and and so I made it just so I could show them this WCW magazine where it said Chad DeliBoy Damiani because I thought it was so funny. And I got saddled with that shit for five years wow. for this uh, this funny thing I did for my friends. That's hilarious.
1: Deliboy. But yeah, it was fun, you That's know. Awesome. And
0: I, and, I, and to what you're saying too is when I was started doing improv with you, um, you know, I had. Um, I guess I'd moved to Los Angeles and I'd been there like six or seven years. Mm-hmm. And this was between like wrestling and this and that. And when I started in comedy, you know, I was only doing it to get out of the house and stuff. And when I started improv, I just wanted to get it right. Like mm-hmm. I just wanted to, I was like, what are you teaching me? I want to get it right. A lot of these guys who do this, but again, I wasn't a career thing. I was writing and making a living at it, you know, or right. I was very lucky to make a living at it.
1: <laughs> Which but I, I it was, wanted to touch on that a little bit too. Cause I, I think what, a lot of people don't know. I have a lot of friends who are writers and stuff, and coming up. A lot of people don't know about the kind of work you did. I think it's interesting because th- that the type of writing uh, and the path you were on is-, is kind of unique. In which, kind of like you, you were writing for like projects. There's a lot of people who come up through like the mail room and and through uh, assistant work and stuff like that. But you were you and your writing partner were actually getting like. Uh, we, you were pitching shows? They're called assignment,
0: guess... They're open, open writing assignments, they were okay. called. Um, well, the way it kind of started was when I came out here, that same guy from New York that I talked about doing the hotlines with me, my roommate, we started working together. I was out of wrestling. I really didn't know what to do with myself. Uh, uh, I was shocked to discover that being a professional wrestling announcer wasn't eye candy on a resume. I was shocked to find everyone shocked. that everyone didn't want to hire. That they weren't like, oh, this this track, this completely tracks with this job. So... <laughs> we started writing together and, you know, we spent years writing really bad movies together. We just didn't know how to do it. And, uh, but during that time I did, I was like a salesman. Like I had gotten the best sales training you could possibly imagine as a wrestling announcer. All you do is sell. Everything's the best thing ever. Everything's the reason to tune in the next week. So at first we sold a few reality show projects at that time when like man versus animal, like when it was like, reality was like, wild crazy shit i guess it is again hmm. i guess it is again but back then it was yeah. all like joe millionaire you know like it was all these like crazy shows with these hooks and uh and we sold you know and again both of us had to work i was working as an announcer for motorcycle racing at the time just to, for a little money and we you both had to work there the wasn't account.
1: anywhere to go from wrestling yeah i was like oh this is the one place they hated oh, me there yeah. because of the wrestling they that's
0: hated awesome me. They oh really like, this is a real sport oh, <laughs> they're like God. i'm like well i was like you're just, you know Supercross, by the way, involves real athletes, but I don't know if you can call it a real sport. I mean, yeah. you know, indoor, like, ju- like jumping berms and triples. Like, I was like, yeah, these guys are amazing athletes, but this is a weird thing that's going right. on. But, yeah. but uh, so I was doing that, but we did reality, sh- we sold a bunch of reality shows. Um, we made a pilot with these two directors that were friends of ours um, that did the Crank movies. Like we did that for a while. We worked, like I had mentioned earlier, we worked. For, we were writers for Ryan Seacrest's morning radio show. We would go and we'd type in things he could say onto an AOL instant messenger board, and like because he was so busy, like editing and taking calls, and he was just such an entrepreneur. He like, it was like he was actually a pretty funny guy. You know, for I mean, not like maybe our humor, but. He was charming and funny. He's got
1: personality, you could tell. He's yeah. got
0: personality for sure. But yeah. uh, but you know, he just didn't really have time to kind of listen, so that's kind of what we did for him. Mm-hmm. And then um, eventually we wrote this script called Kamikaze Love, um, and it was a sort of something we wrote for um, Cube Vision, Ice Cube's company. And it, like, they didn't pay us for it. They were like, if you guys write something, we'll try to sell it. You know, like we're like, that's the best offer we've gotten. Right, <laughs> yeah. We spend nine months doing something you might do something with, was like the best offer.
1: And that script
0: caught fire, it sold immediately to Screen Gems. Uh, It never got made, you know, it made the blacklist that year, the same year as like some really big like Slumdog Millionaire was on the list we were on. We were ahead of Slumdog Millionaire and all these other election was on that list. Do you remember that with Kevin Spacey? Like some really kind of big indie movies were on this list. And then to what you were talking about earlier, what we ended up doing for a long time was we'd go to studios when they had projects. And they would have writing teams or writers pitch them how they would do the project. Mm-hmm. And then if they liked your pitch, they would offer you a contract usually for two drafts of a script, you know? Um, and we worked with like all kinds of crazy, interesting, we worked for Brian Singer. We worked for Robert Zemeckis. We worked a bunch for uh, Brett Ratner uh, before the shit hit the fan there. Yeah. <laughs> um, You know, in fact, uh, I always, one of my favorite stories was, you know, we were meeting all these people with money and wealth and like, we were just still broke and uh, we went to Brett Ratner's house and you have to know if you go to Brett Ratner's house, everyone gets the tour. Like you just, Mm. they tell you like, look, he's going to put, give you a tour, just go on it, be interested in everything. And like a couple things from this tour that I'll never forget was one, he took us into his bedroom, nothing for nothing strange, just to show us, he had this big, big flat TV, which he said he paid like, I don't know for, which now would cost a thousand dollars. So, so I remember just,
1: that. Okay, but he's also just pointing out how much everything costs. Oh yeah, and telling he's,
0: you, he's telling you cost and price. Like so twenty five thousand. That's,
1: 000, that's uh, forty yeah. forty grand bed right there. Oh
0: my god! But then he turns the TV on. He he goes, "You're never going to believe this." He goes, "You know, I love movies. I love movies more than anything." And he shows us. He goes, "There's a company, and they have digitized ten thousand movies." And so I'm like, and it was like a T one line. He goes, so. He goes, I can watch any of these 10,000 movies I want. They digitized all of them for me. Uh, I spent a quarter of a million dollars getting the service. Two years later, Netflix comes out. <laughs> it's Netflix. He paid oh a quarter my. million dollars to have private Netflix. I just like that. Love that so much. Crazy. That's insane. And, uh, and the other oh, thing like... that happened, that was, but this, this is more us looking like idiots, which was more common, was he took us to his pool and there's this huge bronze Tibetan head. Do you know those things like those religious Tibetan heads? Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm saying like this thing must weigh five tons. It's massive. It's up to here on me. And he goes, yeah, you know, I had to use a crane to get it up here. And it almost rolled down and broke through that wall. And Bruce Springsteen lives in that. He would have been mad. And, like, oh and so we're God. like, wow, great. And he goes, it's really heavy. It's like five tons. And we're like, yeah, it looks heavy. And he goes, seriously, try to move it. And we're like, <laughs> what? We're like we can't move this. We're like, we're like we couldn't move something ten one tenth of this. And right. And he goes seriously. And so then me and my KP are like we're just pushing this thing. It's fine. Like just like oh. yeah, this thing is it didn't move at all. Like yeah,
1: about like, five tons. Yeah, this is
0: five five tons is definitely over my max. This is definitely over my max. Um, <laughs> oh, but man. yeah, we did that for years, and then you know it was interesting. I think our careers were always kind of, we would ride these waves, like we did that. Didn't get any movies, like a bunch of movies, people seemed to be happy with the movies, didn't get made for one reason or another, big directors, this and that. Um, And then from there, that started to die down. And so then we moved into, we had had an opportunity to, um, oh, I forget her name now. Um, Who's the, uh, the, did you ever see Desperado? You know the woman in Desperado? I have not. Okay, um, she's famous and I'm really embarrassed to not well, be able to remember her name. Everybody
1: IMDb it which, at home. And uh, um, yeah. she's
0: so famous that it's yeah. obscene that I don't know. But anyway, um, she had had a project at CBS and we had been talking to this production company about something else and they're like, hey, you know, uh, we, we need someone to write this pilot for, for the Cisco Kid. Like we have a TV show based on the Cisco Kid. They had done it the year before and it had been so terrible that, like, it was just like this embarrassment of a. And it was, I remember one detail about the pilot was it was instead of just like making a modern remake of the Cisco Kid, it was about a guy who watched the old Cisco Kid TV show and then his dad dies and then his dad comes to him in visions dressed as the character from the TV oh, show. I mean, it was just one of these, like.
1: Yeah, one of the. They tried to do this? too much with it. Too much. Yeah, and yeah. so
0: we went in and again, what I was always good at, and like, this is not, JP's good at it too, but I think he would even say like, my specialty was sales, right? Yeah. I We went in, we had a pitch. we saw, And so we got to write this pilot and uh, got paid to write it and like got to experience that network pilot season development deal madness, which is like you're writing 12, 14 hours a day through mm-hmm. Christmas, through New Year's, trying to make these deadlines. And from that, kind of getting a taste of it, we, over the next five years, sold four network TV show development deals, which, you know, just puts you in a big pot of pilots that yeah. will, you know, and it was exciting and it paid well. Um, what you learn through that process, and in that process, by the way, almost doesn't even exist anymore, you know, just similar right. to the open writing assignments. It's very different. It does, it's not that it doesn't exist, but not like it did exist now. Um, but,
1: well, pilot you know, we season's people- essentially like gone, right? It's, it's, it's just kind of a rolling thing at, at this point. They
0: still, the network's still kind of try to get some scripts in for January because they still do the upfronts. Right. Like That's- So there's still like a process, but it's not the way it was certainly yeah. anymore. But what would happen is you would sell your project and, you know, they paid pretty well. But then you'd be like, we bought 40 of these. We're going to use eight. Oh, by the way, Dick Wolf is one of them and he has a, a put deal. So if we don't make his, we get penalized. Also George Clooney is, in, is one of the Like, so by yeah. the time you realized that there were like two slots. right? There were yeah. like two open slots. And you know, like, and still like we weren't those slots. Someone did something right. Um, I can remember we, one of the most embarrassing ones we sold. Um, and again, I think the script was fine, but it's just such a, like at the time we were just trying to sen- sell sensational ideas is we mm-hmm. came up with um, a modern reboot of Oliver Twist
1: okay oliver's
0: a woman and essentially it's gone in 60 like uh, fagin the fagin character the guy who gets all the orphans to steal for him for him it's a much sexier fagin <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> and like it was really you know and i honestly it was fun like it was a real yeah. fun and and i remember it was with nbc and they're really excited about it and they're like this is what we want our slate to be next year, these fun fan- fantastical ideas. And like, it's all escapism. And This Is Us was debuting that year, which oh, was wow. like, so we had sold this just as This Is Us. And by the time we got to January, they were like, we love it, but we're only doing Grounded, because This Is Us was such a huge hit. Yeah. So like everything had changed. It and, changes like, on like a
1: happening. dime. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. And then, so now I know like, uh, so you, you know, you've been writing for years and stuff like that. And I know lately some stuff has been taking off more on the acting side, which is fascinating and like pivoting. It was never
0: expected, you know, for all those years, I will say this. And I, I, you know, there was a long time where I was like, I wasn't very creatively satisfied in what I was working on. Like I tried to put my heart into it. I put everything, but you know, I was definitely trying to, come up with ideas that sell more than maybe the idea that like my heart is invested in. I mean, no greater than like one of the last things, last big things I've sold was fruit Ninja movie. Like where, and I got all this press for it. And like, yeah, I don't give a shit about a fruit Ninja movie. Like, I'm not like the world needs this. (laughs) You're (laughs) right. This property needs to come to life. I can sum
1: up my entire career in fruit Ninja. I will do that. Yeah.
0: And I remember there was a sort of epiphany moment where, so we got interviewed by New York Times Magazine about, because the Emojis movie was coming out. And so they thought, oh, what we'll do is we'll do a story about a parallel sto- a parallel situation of the Fruit Ninja movie. Since the Emoji movie was kind of animated and all hush hush, they interviewed a bunch of us that were working on the Fruit Ninja movie. And I remember reading the article and I thought that the guy was so fair and trying desperately to be kind. But as I kind of read it, I'm like, oh my God, this is what I'm, I'm I'm a, I'm like I'm just like a tin I'm just like a snake oil sale I'm just going out there going into rooms trying to figure out what people are going to buy like yeah, I've been conditioned to do it for seven years like you know and made a living yeah. at it and had insurance and you know like this such and that such a big and thing uh,
1: insurance yeah
0: you oh know, it's huge it, it's, right? insurance
1: as an artist like oh, it's oh, huge no. um, um
0: and yeah so it was at that point. And it was still like a year and a half after that, that we sort of had a bunch of things like not work out. I had been performing so much as a way to sort of express myself. Like Mm I had been obsessively performing at night, um, you know, doing, and I started to fall into the world of clown and, you know, I was taking the things I'd learned in improv and um, and the wrestling stuff you talked about, like I was sort of seeing, I'm like, oh my God, this is what makes me special. It's like, I have this way to get an audience angry at me. And like, I can get this reaction. And so, but it was always, that was always like, Oh, this is my thing. It's not for money. This is just my thing that I do for me. And then I was like, why, why, why have I separated what art I can make a living at and what art makes me happy, you know? And then, and that's kind of the journey I've been on the last few years of just being like, I don't want to work on anything that I don't love. Like if I don't love it and by the way, it's been, super hard because you know we all got fired by our agents uh, you know everyone in the writers guild like right so so many things had happened in fact last year i barely other than working on this show uh cake for fx and working on that and writing for that i didn't do a ton of writing like i i worked for spiegel world in in vegas and did some substituting for parts in there like as a clown in their shows. I, t- I traveled and I taught a bunch of places, taught clown because I'd really fallen in love with this art form that I was like, oh, this makes me feel alive. And I was just kind of coming back into it before the uh, I don't know if you've heard um, there's a virus or a uh, bacteria. What? Yeah. I don't know. Should we be concerned? Uh I it's I, been I, a real a process getting back to it. You know, like getting back to generating work and being like, oh yeah, like the only way to sustain that is to make things that get you excited, that excite you, you know?
1: Yeah. Um, oh man, so many things I want to bounce around to. Um, first off, I feel like we skimmed over cake. So let's talk about cake uh, on okay. FX because that's... Uh, well, Now cake is different than two pink doors, correct? No, but yes. <laughs> so, right, so explain because I've okay, seen... So- I know I've seen. Uh, I think I've seen a little bit of both, but I've watched all of Two Pink Doors. Which Two Pink uh,
0: Doors is one of the things that was on. So Cake is essentially designed itself to be, you know, like a like it's like a they um what's the word curate a bunch of different artists who create small pieces that make up. It's a show on FX. I think it's on Ten Thirties. It's um, also on Hulu. I, I think. In, in it's some, on Hulu now. Degree. Yeah. So w- kind of the way we ended up there is. There's a guy named uh, Phil Burgers, AKA Dr. Brown. And he's a, he's a clown, good friend of mine. And uh, someone I'd worked with, he directed a play called Gerald I was in, and we were doing stuff out of his home theater, Lyric Hyperion uh, mm. in Silver Lake. And oh, that's his theater? That's his theater, yeah. Um, oh, it wasn't always, fun. when we that's started doing stuff there, it wasn't, but then the owner, Mark, uh, decided he wanted to get out of the theater business. And, yeah. uh, and Phil was like, okay, I'm going to take it over because I'm going to curate all this work. And Such by the way, the special spot. Nate right now, that's mm-hmm. on Netflix, that came from the Lyric. Like a bunch okay. of successful shows that went to Edinburgh Fringe are all from the Lyric. But yeah. we had done a bunch of fun things. And I was like saying to Phil, because Phil had told me once that he had this thing that he would do in Edinburgh where he would just have a bunch of like stand-ups come up and he would dr- live direct them. And I'm like, oh, we should do a show Monday nights. Where you live direct? We'll pick like, I say, we, he picked them. I I didn't have any say. I don't want to take credit for anything. Uh, I was like, why don't you pick the clowns you want to work with the most? And we'll get like, you know, I don't know, seven, ten of us. And then Monday nights, we'll do scenes. we'll, We'll improvise scenes and you can direct us. And we'll just, you know, just a way for all of us to get to play together. And, and so finally, you know, I kind of was the producer and he was like the director creative mind behind it. We started doing these Monday nights and we Created a bunch of work and stuff, and through that, so he was able to kind of go to FX and say, "Hey, we've got this really fun devising process that's a little different than writing. Like sitting in a writing room. Like we put stuff up, and the audience tells us where to go. And and you know, I was uh, you know, kind of peripherally involved. Like I helped a little bit with the pitch language since I'd done it for years." Yeah. But he, him and a guy named Alex Plappinger, who's a producer, they went in to Cake and they were like, this is Dr. Brown, this is the process that these artists do on Monday night. And we came up, what, what had happened was we had, um, he wanted to kind of, we had gone out one day looking around at different like locations and stuff because we we're trying to figure out what to pitch. Mm-hmm. And he had just reacted very strongly to these two pink doors that were um, the storage area for Absolutely Pictures. Like oh. this was just their two pink doors. Like they had these two. And 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 so all day we're kind of walking around and I, I said to him, I was like, well, you were so interested in those doors. Like, is there something there? And we ended up coming up with this idea of like a bunch of different scenarios all surrounding this one static shot of these mm-hmm. two pink doors. Like essentially real clown work where like it's about timing and, you know, and you know, it's like, and uh, so we ended up selling that to them and made these uh, five, Five or six uh, shorts, and yeah. actually, we did a second run of things called Last Day, mm-hmm. which are two longer pieces. I think they're about eleven, twelve minutes that they just haven't aired yet on Cake. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so so yeah, yeah so it's been super fun doing that, like the, again, the, the this is two the nice work we love, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean it's awesome. Yeah, I mean that 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 clowning group that is so it seems so tight knit too. But it and what you guys did with Two Pink Doors was so cool because it's literally a static shot it's one it's like a camera could be set up on a tripod essentially mm-hmm. and the whole thing is just and it's it's great it's theatrical in the way the timing comes plays out it's super funny um it, yeah i mean i i loved it um, oh
0: thanks man
1: yeah i i really really enjoyed it uh i thought they had you definitely had some moments where you shined in it um did you it's, it's, tough, a, it's a tough I group think,
0: to shine in it's a lot of really talented people
1: <laughs> yeah but you you have a way of uh drawing attention i feel like in in a good way but like you you you, i mean even i think there was one thing where it was all about you and like wasn't there one where everybody blamed you or something um Um, i I feel like everybody kept getting mad at you for something but
0: there's well there's one where i'm a fire chief that i'm kind of that's i'm centered around me and like it's all kind of me being a bit uh me being very sensitive, like a tough guy fire chief, but I'm very sensitive, and so like yeah. eventually, like everyone's yelling at me, and um yeah, they're all like hard. Yeah. You know, the thing about clown too, Ryan, that like is the most fun part and most frustrating part is like usually like the idea that we love, like it doesn't like you hear it, you're like uh, you shouldn't shoot that. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. It's like oh no, we know, <laughs> like we know that's why it's funny to us. Like yeah, like it's like if you go to a clown show, like I feel like. So I was in a group called JetzO, which Brian had team perform. And like, I always thought our best shows would be stuff that if you left the show and told your friends you thought you saw some funny show and they're like, what's it about? It would be a nightmare for you to be like, um, I don't know. <laughs> a Japanese man was trying to see his the mother of a uh, ghost mother uh, and they ended up in 30s in <laughs> Berlin like it was like that's what's fun about clown is like you're really along for this nonsensical ride but yeah. when it's done it's really hard to string it back together you know it can only yeah. exist in that moment and uh, do, you,
1: do you think people do that do you think people go home and like
0: well, well honey what'd
1: you see tonight and they're like all right well okay if I remember I hope so. <laughs> it would be, it would be, I mean, yes, but it be, I just, I've just, i never thought of it in the terms of people trying to recap what we do as improvisers or clowns, you know? Well, you know, uh, I you know, know
0: for a fact, I'm sure they did it with Jetso, but I know for a fact, like, last year and a little in 2018, I started doing uh, these shows that I direct. Like, they're called Chad Live Directs a Workshop, mm-hmm. and, and yeah. it's, here's the bit. The bit is that, you know, people come, and I come out, and I go, you know, we have a live musician, and we have, like, eight to ten clowns all dressed in black looking very scared Mm. and i come out and i go thank you very much and you stop the music and i'm like listen um first thing you need to know is this is not a show and i i stole that from phil phil would always say that before monday nights but he would say it for real like he was really like i don't want any pressure so i was like i'm Mm. gonna turn it into a bit Mm. right because he would say it for real and uh and so i would be like this is not a show it is the culmination of six weeks of hard training by these students over here and the fact is that you know, when you're in a class, all the other students support you because they, they, they have grown fond of you, but also they're afraid to fail themselves. But you people have no obligation to laugh at these people. You don't know they're strangers. And I would always say this line and I would always get a, get a gasp, which I'd be like, um, don't give it up too easy. I was like, if it's not funny, let them sit in their failure. I said, they need to know if they're really meant to do this. <laughs> you're like, so then you put on the audience this intense pressure of like, if they don't love it, these students will leave here. And by the way, when I say students, a lot of these people are like super successful working actors, comedians. Like, um, but yet, because I'm so serious, they buy it, right? And I know for a fact, those shows, I've had people tell me, it's like, I don't know what to tell, because what we do during that hour is so stupid Mm -hmm. that it's almost impossible to describe to a person what the show was which is like my goal i just want it to be because i'm screaming i'm yelling and i'm like you don't belong here and then the (laughs) audience is turning on me and like
1: yeah it's one of the wildest shows in in a great way like it's it's you never know what to expect it's um i mean it there's like there's shock value there's intelligence stuff there's emotional range there's there's a lot of stuff that goes into it um it's very fascinating um there are also, like, it, it is funny how many people are, like, are quietly successful in those kind of things, too. I've been watching. I know, so- and
0: they, they love playing, like, they love playing nobodies. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. And uh, on occasion, if someone's real, if someone would be on the show, and by the way, I've had people come through, like, uh, my buddy Manoir, um, he did the show uh, and, like, went on, and now, like, he's on TV all the time, and he was on... Um, just network television constantly in England, right? Like, but no one knew him here. And like, I had people from uh, overseas do the show and no one knows him. And I'm like, oh, if you knew, this person's got a 100,000 followers. Like they're, but if it is someone who is like, has some level of fame, Mm -hmm. and I think the audience knows, I will totally be like, well, congratulations. You know, you've just run Adult Swim. You're nothing here. Congratulations. (laughs) You've come back to zero. So just know that none of that matters to us. And like, they love it. The performers, right? Because yeah. it's like, yeah, right. Like, um I mean, that's yeah, so no, much, it's so It's so fun. It's got to
1: be nice to like get rid of that pressure, you know? Because it's, I don't know, who will, who wants all that pressure every time you step on stage when you're just trying to create and and you know have fun a little bit too, and so it's nice to say, take that off, I would think.
0: I would say it's. I definitely think it's that, but there's another side to it too, where some of these performers, like we get to a point, like even me on Catsby, you know, which is a show that we. Mm -hmm. you show ran that show we co-produced it like i still love doing the show when i mean if it comes back when it comes back right but definitely that's the homer crowd of all time you know like i feel like i could do no wrong in that show like people know me if they're there they're probably relate like you know maybe there's 10 people there who don't know me you know and like so but a lot of these comics especially the alt comics that would do it are part of a scene where they're established and they walk out and they're like, they're like oh, gotta get this microphone and everyone laughs cause they're like, th- so now like the idea of like, oh, it's not gonna, they're not gonna give it up. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like they love it. Like the real performers, they don't want that. Real performers don't wanna go out and everything they throw hits. Like yeah. they wanna go out and like figure it out. And like, and so, yeah, it's been, I mean, we had some really, you know, before we had some set up, we had some great stuff set up and, you know, we'll be back again at some point, but, mm-hmm you know, I know every real comic I saw who came to the show or saw the show afterwards was like, I want to, I want you to yell at me. Like, I want you to humiliate me. Like, I want to see if I can pull this, like, cause there is this like an adrenaline to it, you know? Yeah.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it's, it's great work. And I, I love what you, what you guys are doing with it. And especially with, uh, yeah. I mean, like you, it's funny. I keep thinking, I'm like, you've had a big year. You've had a great year. Uh, you, I mean, you were on AGT also for a split second. Oh my God. Uh, which was, um,
0: I was. Wait, were you, you know, starting to go? Happened, <laughs> that all happened that was the week before quarantine.
1: You got started. the live audience though, which not everyone got. I got the live that's, audience. That's, uh, um,
0: I'd spent four months. Mu- so I have a, like, one of the things I also did last year was, I've been wanting to do more clown like in conventional places like stand up clubs. And mm-hmm. so I had created a bunch of bits and, and I, you know, got to do a really bunch of fun shows. Oh my God. I almost kicked over my ring light. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Everything just goes dark.
0: <laughs> um, so uh, I had this one act, which I still do. And I love this act. And I mm-hmm. just did it the other day on a zoom show, but I play the security guard at the night, the club. Mm-hmm. And I'll actually hang out all night at the club, like the security, I'll tell people the bathroom's over there. You know, I talk in a Boston accent. So I'm like, you know, okay, have a good time. You know, like, and um, and then in the middle of the show, um, I have the host be like, hey, the Marco from security. And I go on stage and I pretend I found a notebook that belongs to one of the open mic comics. And sometimes that's enough, but sometimes depending on the room, I'll say I found in the bathroom where someone flushed a bunch of paper toil- uh, towels down the toilet. Right, so, yeah. So they're in trouble right this and then i open this book and i start reading like i write these jokes i love like they're terrible like i write the worst yeah. jokes i can think of and this guy just reads these jokes deadpan and he doesn't care about the jokes and, and you know and he gets angrier and angrier at the jokes right because they're so bad and um mm-hmm. so i uh During my travels to Vegas and like working with Spiegel World, I also worked for um, Piff the Magic Dragon, who was an AGT super all-star. Like he was, I think he got second place one season and he has a show in Vegas. He's a super amazing guy, like one of my favorite people in Vegas. And I went and he had me open for him at some big shows, big shows that I've ever done. And I got some footage of it and he was like, you should try to get on AGT. So he gave me a contact. And they were interested and they saw the act. They're like, this is great. And very early on, I can't say for sure that I had better instincts, but I guess part of me was like, I don't know. Like they came up with this very um, detailed way that I'd be introduced.
1: Okay. Right.
0: That I would be in the audience.
1: You weren't doing security would be, at AGT? I was just
0: the same as the bit. Same uh, as the bit. Yeah. Yeah. Come, awesome. And, like, systematically – and, by the way, it was a perfectly fine experience. I mean, it was gruesome the day it happened. But, I mean, I bombed, I, by the way, if you all can't tell by but now. But
1: <laughs> so, so fear buzzed I, you, man. I watched it.
0: <laughs> yeah. I uh, Everybody. <laughs> they all – I got four. Did they? I oh, okay.
1: I think the clip ended um, up with her. But, yeah.
0: Yeah, no. It was funny. a much longer, much more grueling thing than you saw. The clip wow. you saw was nothing. They're, um, they're, they're like, let him keep going. This well, poor guy
1: out had- now, did they know you were a comic or did they think you were part of the audience? No,
0: but that's the whole thing. There was this whole thing that they did where they're like, the judges won't know you're a comic. And and like the first thing that happened where I knew it was going to go badly was, hey, listen, um, I wear this outfit. It says security on the chest. It says security in the hat. It's a very silly clown outfit. Yeah. But they were like, we want you to dress like the real security guards. I'm like, what are they dressing? Um, black blazer, black shirt, black slacks. I'm like, so you just want me to go out there? Like, there's nothing fun. Like, that's like there's I'm not compromised like a clown comes dressed in a way that you feel bad for them like well and, and you, you, like, you've
1: done some where you were had the the bomb vest strapped to you and you were right, forced, yeah, like, you were forced to tell these jokes
0: yeah like I had that yeah. bit I would have loved to have done that bit but right. they were like um so yes yeah, so I so <laughs> can you imagine like, if
1: they didn't know that you were walking on as that and they-
0: <laughs> it was like yeah it would have been a disaster i mean it couldn't be but this is so they're like here they're like you're gonna work all day as security and then in the middle of the show you're gonna come up and do your bit i'm like i said okay i said you know uh like i was like yeah you guys know like no it's gonna be great and this and that and i maybe by the way to be fair probably at some point i thought it was a good idea but as it went on i'm like i'd rather just come out in my outfit and do my voice and be Mm the sky mako you know so the day i'm there is like just a day of killers like all these acts are amazing and i'm just like i'm working all day ryan and it's hot yeah. it's it's march and it's here like doing 90. security you could see me oh, people saw God. me i was opening doors for like everyone in the limo entrances
1: oh my and God. i'm
0: sweating i'm tired <laughs> i'm like you know i didn't get to like so everyone else is in a green room i'm working all day
1: this is amazing with a
0: stupid ass notebook and like so, so I'm sitting there and you have to understand, like, I know this act sounds very stupid and it is, but it's like a meta comedy act. Right, the idea yeah. is that it's I'm deconstructing how to tell jokes. It, it's not an act for kids, right? Like yeah. it's not, the jokes aren't funny. It's the idea that I'm the last person who should tell the jokes, just like the bomber bit. Like yeah, yeah. this cop has yep. to tell the jokes. I'm out there opening these uh, limo doors for Sofia Vergara and Heidi Klum and, <laughs> and, and like I'm out there and I'm in these shots and, and all of a sudden I see a bunch of buses show up. And when I say a bunch, I mean like maybe five and all 10 year olds come off these buses. Mm. So what they do, uh, the America's Got Talent is part of the audience is just massive groups of kids from schools that get like a, a school trip. So- oh, Wow, okay. I'm watching this and I'm like, I'm already sweating and tired, I'm like, oh my God, half of this audience is children. Half of this audience is not gonna get the basic concept of this bit, right? Yeah. And shame on me, shame That's on me that so... I didn't know this, right? I didn't, yeah. I, I just always assumed it was families and like, if there was two kids, there'd be two, a dad and a mom, or a, right. a mom, yeah. a grandma, like whatever, um, mm-hmm. or two moms. I, like, but it would just be like, it was an even sort of thing, so. So this audience is, uh, and again, all the acts are better than my act too. I should mention all the acts are better than my act. And they keep moving me later and later in this oh, three right. hour taping. So you're just doing and more, and more, <laughs> more and
1: more security.
0: More and more security will keep working. And oh then my God. I also had Maybe. a heart catheterization the next day. Just so you know, the whole day I was there, I was getting a heart catheterization at 5 a.m. the next day. Oh my god! So like, I'm, so then they moved me to the last act. And so, I can't, went to this tech rehearsal and, and it was like, I was like, look, I said, I told him, I was like, it has to happen really fast. Like, hand me the notebook and I'll run up and I just, I'll, I'll talk while the, like, I'll interrupt the warm up guy. Like, we have to create some chaos. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure, absolutely. By the time this happened, I think everyone was tired and they just botched my entrance. And like, it was total silence. Everyone wants to go home. It was like a minute of silence. And then the, the warm up guy goes, all right, let's, it's time for our last act. And I'm like, oh my God, no. And then, oh, no. then this guy comes in, gives me the notebook. So there was a whole thing that was supposed to happen that they were going to film secretly. Now the whole place is watching. Then need be handed this notebook. They watch me walk up onto the stage. Before I can say anything, Sofia Vergara goes, are you Chad Demiani? I was like, what the hell? What the hell? I was like, "Pod me, ma'am. No, my name's Mako. And she goes, because there's only one contestant left on our call sheet. These motherfuckers put me on the sheet. They put me on the sheet. I'm like, I don't know what you're oh talking about,
1: ma'am. Like, my God.
0: So then I start telling these jokes and the first one gets kind of a little laugh and I'm like, okay, maybe I can pull this off. By yeah. the second one, the booing starts. Right? They're oh booing no. me. And like, they let me, and by the way, they let me tell all like four jokes in a row and they just kept Xing me after every one. Oh no. And I had done this, they had come up with this thing, they're like, you're gonna say that you found this bathroom in Terry Cruz's this book in Terry Cruz's private bathroom. Okay. I was like, okay. And they were like, Terry doesn't have a bathroom. And by the way, when I saw the backstage area, there was no private, like everyone's just in like, like, so they set me up to mention a bathroom that they knew didn't exist. Like, they don't Oh like, my
1: goodness.
0: Terry Crews, to his credit, was trying to, I think, make the bit work, but did something hmm. that was so heartbreaking. He runs out after I get X'd, he's a massive human being, rips the book out of my hand, rips the book out of my hand, throws it up and drop kicks my joke book into the, I never saw it again,
1: drop (laughs) kicks my
0: joke book into the crowd.
1: And I'm like,
0: and I'm just like, I'm I'm like, and by the way, as clowns, we like to fail. I did not like this. This was not fun. Like it was just like children, but we hate you, this was the worst. And then the judges are like, this is the most uninspired. This is the worst thing I've ever seen. This and that. Oh
1: my God.
0: It, was, oh, and now it all got boiled brutal. down to like a 30 second perfectly innocuous clip that I have mm-hmm. now. So it's all fine. But like, oh, yeah. boy, what? I mean, just like, I was like, boy, and you know, I'm a teacher too. Like that's one of the ways I started making monies. Right. And I'll just sit there. I can't tell you how many times I pontificate and like proselytize to students that like, you have to love to fail. You have to love to fail. And in that moment I'm like, it does not feel good. <laughs> like, right. I was just like, yeah. yeah. Like, I'm kind of a hypocrite cause I fucking hate this.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Especially when it doesn't go like when you had stuff in mind and it just doesn't go anywhere. I mean it didn't have a shot at that way at that point. Oh no, I
0: never but by the way, I should be clear with the audience that they had, which I could have found out. Like I could have done research to find out who watches the well, show. You weren't
1: opening limos all day. <laughs> yeah,
0: right. In the in like 90 degree weather. Yeah. Um, I would have failed no matter what. Like mm. this fact would not have worked, but like they just kind of put me in a position to fail so epically but like not in a fun way you yeah. know like like and not know what because i tried to engage them i'm like can i just say two things about and they're like we think you've said and they're tired to like i don't blame the judges they're exhausted they've been there oh, three yeah. hours yeah so yeah i just that was like the longest drive home like, just ever. answer me
1: are you chad damiani or not we're talking we're on I, our can life. you
0: imagine <laughs> Stop, uh, stop
1: doing the voice and tell me who, no.
0: Yeah, like, oh my God, like everything that could burn this bit, they did. Oh um, my gosh. But uh, yeah what, a, yeah, what a way to, like when you think about this happened and then like three days later, we, the LA closed. Like, so all the yeah. shows were gone. So I didn't even have like a chance to do a show and like be like, oh right, I'm really good at this. Like people were like, you know what I mean? This yeah. was like my last performance experience before we started doing shows in the park months later like three months later you know yeah
1: which i think is an awesome uh thing you guys have been handling the pandemic in in a cool way of doing these shows in in the zoo in the in in the park as well you've done a couple different yeah
0: well i mean shows during the pandemic right now because things are so crazy yeah but but um you know i am hoping by like maybe like i mean by february i'm hoping things kind of suss out i mean i know Mm -hmm. like it's not going to be sooner even though they're telling us it's, it might be sooner, yeah. but yeah, around, I'd say June, we started one in Alhambra park out here in Los Angeles, uh, outside of Los Angeles, more near like Pasadena. Mm-hmm. And then, um, a bunch of us who did the cake stuff and also did the Monday nights and a few other friends of ours, we started doing one at the old zoo, the enclosures in Griffith park where the, yeah. they sort of have, you have access to where they used to keep the lions and other animals. Um, and it was, it was, it saved me in a lot of ways this summer, you know, I was yeah. really just felt rudderless and like, I didn't have any options, but then I had these two shows a week for six months and I learned a ton, um, you know, you have to perform very differently outside, mm-hmm. you know, you have a mask on, like these are masks, we wore masks, the audience wore masks. And like, I was already, I think a pretty physical performer. And I was like, it wasn't enough. Like I had to be even more physical. Like what? I had to play so that I could not look away, you know, like, yeah. And, uh, so, well, it's yeah. so hard.
1: I mean, you're taking away half of your face, mm-hmm. which, you know, is such a huge tool. Like, I mean, oh luckily you, you have some of that physicality and stuff to use, which is nice, but I mean, to take away with a mask, half of your, you know, your expression,
0: it's, that's tough. Well, I had two very different experiences because like in the Alhambra show, it was like you said, the mask and we dress in costumes in the Alhambra show, mm. we were trying to offset, like we we're mm. trying to find ways. And what I found with the mask was that, like, the eyes are what's most important, for mm. sure. Your eyes are more important than your smile or your grimace or whatever. But, but also that, uh, that you could use the mask to your benefit because the audience sees you as an underdog, you know? So if you're yeah. being very big and, like, you know, really finding all these big expressions, and the mask kind of now makes them focus on your eyes, yeah. and then if you throw in a bad accent, you know, or, yeah. like, and they can't see your mouth doing it. That, like, so, like I said, I feel like I gained all these new tricks. The show in the zoo. Oh, in fact, hold on, stay right there. All we right. work with um, neutral masks and um, like mask work. Yeah, i have actually just made. I'm just making this now. I'm building this mask. You making it? I made this. Yeah. So That's if you awesome. can see, I took a neutral mask, which yeah. is sort of, uh, and then uh, Natalie Pelomides, uh go yep. watch Nate on Netflix, a uh, good friend I, of mine. She's I watched been that. helping was us. awesome. And uh, so, yeah, so you make these masks and we're making our, because we have to wait, you know, a month, two months, we're all kind of making masks and we're trying to, but we did these shows in full masks.
1: Wow. And,
0: and it was such a great learning experience too of like, oh, right, there's so much we can express with our bodies and here we have to, you know, cause when you wear the mask, you also have to be silent. Yeah. You know, like that's kind of the rules of the mask. So um, yeah, it was this great experience where like, if you, if you have a mask on and you just do this, mm. you get a big react. The audience is like, oh, you know, or you just, yeah. you just go like this, like, like <laughs> these things that we take for granted. Oh yeah, with a mask, yeah. especially because yeah. the mask isn't moving. Yeah. So you like, eh. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so yeah, like I do feel very grateful. Not that I didn't put work in to make these shows happen, but I feel grateful sure. that the that I was directed that way. You know, um, no, that's
1: awesome. But uh, but
0: yeah, but uh, but we learned a bunch, and I'm I'm excited. You know, we're not going to be performing anytime soon next year. I'm excited to get back to these shows when things calm down, maybe in yeah. February, and and learn some more. You know,
1: yeah. And then uh, we're kind of winding down a little bit, but I do want to talk about the other thing you're doing that's awesome right now, uh, especially during the pandemic is, is you are teaching, which you mentioned Uh, you're doing zoom, zoom classes with uh, the clowning and uh, aspects and stuff.
0: I I am taking a little break now because I'm exhausted, but what happened essentially was, you know, I was traveling and teaching Mm -hmm. and when the pandemic first started, I just felt like, there's just no way to teach clown online. Like mm-hmm. it is so about the connection with the audience and this and that, and I kind of just ruled it out. But as time passed and I was also just dealing with like not having any connection to the things, these, this, the art that I loved. Mm-hmm. I just started kind of experimenting with small groups of students. And, you know, we found a way, you know, we found a way to kind of use the interface of Zoom and like turning your camera on and off and, and, and you know, making, entrances and 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 using this like playing using the other students to create like a dynamic way to present like you're presenting like to other students and you know it was like a it was like there was a couple weeks or maybe a month where it was like i have a couple successes and more failures and successes but as time passed i was like oh i, I think i understand what this is and for me who you know, tends to play high status, like a white clown. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is performative for me. Like now I, I, I have to keep the energy up of these classes. Like I'm gonna, I do something where, you know, we do, you, you sort of create like tableaus in your Zoom box and then I screenshot it and I write notes on it. Like I insult everyone or praise, <laughs> like, I was yeah. like, oh great, this is like a, for me, and yeah, we, you know, I ran a bunch of uh, like three months of classes, sold them all out. I was so grateful. And, you know, and I think I've, I'll probably go back and do it in February again. And, yeah. you know, it's not like to me, is it, is it conventional classic clown? No. Is it an opportunity to force yourself to find a way to connect and be creative under duress and difficult circumstances? Yes. And at the end of the day, that's what clowning is. Clowning, mm-hmm is about you're the uninvited guest no one wants you here but you're gonna go on stage and figure out a way you're gonna figure out a way to stay and in staying you're gonna get all these people who want you to leave to love you so that's just in general art is like you you know things change and you find a new way to sort of chase the same thing you know so yeah that was crucial to me this year and i was so grateful to get to do it and also Get to work with people from toronto and the east coast and you know a lot of people from portland and san diego and san francisco i got to work with people from finland and south africa oh and Brazil. God, like so, yeah, it this, was that, really cool the zoom
1: thing opens up everybody to it um it's awesome and, and you were nice enough nice to let me drop in on a class uh this last week yeah that awesome. was fun nice. right it was super fun super fun to experience and uh it was interesting like there's actually like so, some of the stuff you were teaching. I think even helps in terms of like uh like acting skills and stuff, and like we were doing facial uh the you know the facial expressions and stuff going right. from one hundred percent down to one percent, and just fine tuning your tools and and like you know playing with different emotions and just knowing what your face is doing when it's doing you know and I don't know it was it was super fun and but I thought there was a lot to take away from it also it was really cool
0: I think too and this is something I've, I've kind of gained from this year, you know, like I said, uh, there's, we're going to have to find some good things from 2020. Right. So we're, we don't touch our faces as much anymore. <laughs> like, that's good. Right. <laughs> yeah. Camping is not a bad thing. Um, but like you, you don't, you don't put the things you love on pause. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think a lot of us were like, well, I'm just going to sit this out and all the things that I did that I liked, you know, whether that's like you need to exercise or you need to sort of spend quality time with people or you need to perform, like you don't simply go, I just don't do that anymore because it's not as easy or it's not ideal, you know? So like, I definitely think I'll take that with me forever. And like you said, like for an actor, a stand-up, an improviser, a clown, like if this is something that matters to you, find a way to play, find a way to do this thing. And, stop worrying about it not being ideal and worry more about that this thing will sort to atrophy if you don't like feed it something anything you know so yeah you know maybe we'll be more grateful yeah. when stuff comes back 2026 2027 <laughs> hey,
1: go right whenever whenever it comes back around man uh what a good place to end on uh that was awesome uh i've enjoyed having you on chad this is amazing
0: um yeah, no, thank good. you so much for inviting me ryan it was, was a lot of fun
1: um and people can follow you at chad damiani on uh on the social uh, medias
0: the chad Demiani, the chad damiani I, I could have gotten chad damiani in all but two now i look back and i don't even use those two but it's uh i'm mostly on instagram uh the chad damiani also at jetso time on twitter for whatever reason i have not been able to get that other twitter account any any action
1: yeah <laughs> I just found out there's another Ryan Hansinger like on, Insta- on social media. I was like, what? what are really? Doing? Is this your yeah. first
0: run in with another Ryan oh, Hansinger? The exact
1: first and last name. Yeah. That's weird. There's uh, a Chad
0: Demiani that every, like if I Google myself and I do. Yeah. Um, that he has a video on YouTube and I think I've watched it 10 of the 72 times it's been viewed. Yeah. And he just reviews a concrete mixer. Like it's a very <laughs> straightforward, like, is it's this amazing. a good concrete mixer or not? and I just can't stop watching it. I'm just like, it's amazing. Yeah. It's like a minute long and I'm like, I am just keeping this guy's YouTube page alive.
1: You know? Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, but yeah, so, so follow him. Uh, you can check it out for, for shows, uh, for upcoming classes and things like that. Um, but yeah, definitely check out the cake, two pink doors, uh, the, the AGT. Cl- no. Um <laughs> but definitely check out the stuff on Hulu. It's amazing. Uh, it's, it's really impressive. Uh, Chad, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. And, uh, hopefully we'll be seeing each other again soon.
0: Take care, Ryan. Take care people of podcast land.
1: Thanks for tuning in to a bit unraveled. I'm Ryan Hansinger.
0: We'll see you next week.